All right, welcome back to the Insatiable Content Podcast. I'm your host, Vincent Rossmeyer, and so happy to be here. Though 2022 is opening up by continuing the two-year-long kick in the balls that we've all been experiencing since COVID first hit. Uh, Not fun to be a parent out there right now, trying to figure out how you send your kids to school and all this, but I digress. All of that is to say, if you came here for your typical dose of insatiable joy and uplift, we got it for you here. I'm always your ray of sunshine. Um, And our topic today will actually tie into that as I'm here to discuss my top 10 shows of 2021, which deal a lot with the shittiness of contemporary America. Uh, I'm gonna break this up into two episodes today. I'm gonna do shows 10 through six on my list, uh, and the next episode will cover five through one. But to join me today to discuss the first half of my top 10 list, I'm really excited and honored to have one of my closest friends, a woman I've worked with longer than anyone else over the course of my entire career, and the person who recommended the show we'll be starting out our conversation today with. I uh, So I'm really excited to have Amy. She's got Shoop on repeat on her cassette player too. Barrett to the Insatiable Content Podcast. Welcome, Amy. Thanks so much, Vincent. I am so excited to be here with you. Um, And also I have to say, when I was telling another one of my closest friends um, that I would be joining you, she texted back, I would love to talk about TV on the radio. And I was like, TV on the radio? You mean one of my favorite bands? And she happens to be um, 10 years younger than you and I both are. Uh Um, And she was like, TV on the radio? I don't even know that band. So. If you're ever, um, you should never rename this podcast, but if you ever needed to, to be on the radio, could be like your um, tagline. Very, that would be a very clever name, especially because I love that band, but also just a little sad that somebody doesn't even know the name of that band, man. Um, Okay, well, so what we're going to do is I'm gonna, we're going to start off um, by talking about the, my sixth favorite show of last year, which was Made, uh, a Netflix series de- show depicting the struggles of a young, poor, single mom named Alex, played by Margaret Qualley, uh, who you may remember from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Um, and the show is really about her struggles to break away from her alcoholic and abusive boyfriend, and honestly, her abusive family and all the trauma that they have inflicted on her. Um, Amy McDowell is incredible as the mom in this show. But Amy, you're the one who alerted me and asked me, like, have you seen this show? It didn't pop up on a lot of other people's top 10 list. But once you told me about it, I watched it um, sort of in a binge mode while traveling over winter break and just thought it was really, really excellent. So I'd love to hear, you know, what resonated for you about this show and why it was so high up on your list as well. Oh, thanks, Vincent. Um, yeah, so I have also found um, that this show is super polarizing um, among people in my circles. Uh, most of my friends know about it um, and fall into one of three camps. They won't even start it because uh, they kind of know what it's about and it's too intense. Um Some of my friends have watched one or even part of the first episode and uh, felt like they needed to stop because it is so intense and and so much happens in that first episode. Um, Or the third camp, which I am agree, it's really intense and they they love it for that, um, how engrossing and well done it was. Um, 
you know, of course, uh, the topics that it covers um, and just the the way that the story unfolds is really hard to watch at times. But I was captivated in a way that had me thinking about each episode um, and and dozens of scenes within long after I watched it. Yeah, that's um, and that's so yeah. interesting because like. It is a, I would agree it's a very intense show, but the intensity comes from it just being so real to life. You know what I mean? Like it's in a similar way to Barbara Ehrenreich's uh, Nickel and Dime, like it is just depicting the reality of being poor in this country. I mean, that's really what it is. And I understand like I had visceral reactions to it too, but it's just interesting that people can't even watch it, even though that this is like, the type of stuff that people experience on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Um, And I think that also like that has a lot to do with not only um, the themes that are covered and the kind of the content of the show, uh, but also the way that it's shown or the way that it's, um, that it, that it unfolds in the way that it's acted. Um, I, there were so many times and actually just like in preparing for talking to you today, I um, re-binged, watched part of it over the weekend. And um, and I felt even more so than the first time I watched it. Like I, I, I sort of felt like I was um, Alex, like at different times. Yep. And that's like a really ridiculous thing to say in the sense that I've been fortunate enough never to be um, the victim of domestic violence. Um, But uh, I I guess I think that's a commentary on Margaret Qualley's acting. Like I, when she would visibly shrink under her boyfriend, Sean's um, abuse and, and influence, like I viscerally felt that. Yep. Yep. Her acting was incredible in this. Just incredible. I, I totally agree. Um, I also, I loved it in the same way, um, that I loved the book educated. Did you read educated? No, but it's interesting. Cause you know, in my notes for this, I actually said it really reminded me of eviction, um, by mm-hmm. I believe Matthew Desmond. And because that book is all about people being evicted, the real life stories of people being evicted, um, across Milwaukee, uh, and just how difficult finding secure housing is in this country, especially if you're a renter. Yeah, um, I've never read it, but it, it, it definitely sounds um, but similar. And educated, like one of the reasons why I felt like it was so similar is because um, I, I'm sure you know about educated. Mm-hmm. You know, follows the survivalist family, um, and it, it's similarly like I did not grow up in a survivalist family, um, but the way that story is told like it's not only a window into um very specific circumstances it's also like the way that the emotional abuse is portrayed um i think that it's portrayed with such a realness like you you can understand without judgment why the characters are um kind of uh taking the actions that they are yep and it's just so um believable i guess yep I, I couldn't agree more. One of my favorite things about this show is, I mean, there's the way it actually depicts poverty in America in an accurate way. Um, and 
but it's making a deep social commentary without feeling political or pedantic. And a big part of that for me is the way it shows just an extreme level of empathy for all of its characters. It reminded me a bit of Orange is the New Black in that way, but it's much more serious and also deals with the negative consequences of of the actions of a lot of these characters in a way that's like, you can't really turn away from. So while you feel a tremendous amount of empathy, it doesn't ever excuse their behavior. And like you, I, for me, like I feel so, so like deeply in my soul watching this, like the way the characters have to struggle to get to a better place in their lives. And so many of them are really trying and there's just, there's, you know, there's no help for them in so many ways. Like I, the, one of the things that is most pivotal to me is um, not to get, I don't think this is too big of a spoiler, but um, Alex comes from a family that um, had a lot of issues. Her father um, was actually an alcoholic um, and abused her mom. He is now a reformed Christian living a very, uh, I guess for lack of a better word, pure life. Um, but, and he's trying to be there for her, but he never really acknowledges what has happened in the past. So it, there's no atonement, right? And so like you can see he's tried to become a better person and in many ways he probably is. But also like it's very hard to forgive him when he just can't ever acknowledge what happened in the past and the damage he inflicted. Um, in the same way you see with Alex's boyfriend and how he's an alcoholic and how terrible his upbringing was. And like I felt for him, but at the same time, like he will not kick the habit. He's a t- he's not a good father, and he's terrible and abusive to Alex. So, and even with Alex, there were times where I was so frustrated by her decisions. You know, like um, I think this show does a really good job of depicting how hard it is for women to break away from abusive relationships. But she also just makes like the decision she has. And I get it, you know, when you have family, it's very hard to turn away from them. She makes a decision to turn her daughter's birthday party into this drunken bacchanal that leads to her getting forced out of her apartment. Uh, And she has to be in that apartment to be near enough the preschool she wants to send her daughter to so that her daughter isn't going to the crappy preschool, right? Like, so every time she makes it one rung up the ladder of the, you know, late stage capitalism, she somehow like falls back down. And I guess that's for me, Amy, what made the show so rewarding is that it's not judging its characters. No one is like good or bad. It's presenting all of them, you know, all their warts and all, and you can find reasons to love and support any of the people in the show while still wanting them to stop hurting themselves and the people in their lives. And to me, that is the cycle of poverty being de- and trauma being depicted in a very accurate and true way, similar to uh, Elena Ferrante's um, My Brilliant Friend series. I think this has a lot of resonance there, too, and just showing the way trauma affects people generationally. I, I agree with everything you've said, and I also want to go back to um, a part of... Um, I think part of the emotional abuse cycles that Alex and other characters are contending with is, um, and and you brought this up um, in the case of Alex's father where there's no atonement, like a big part of emotional abuse is gaslighting. And although Alex's dad has, um, you know, really reformed and like, again, no spoilers, but, actually wants to help her and her daughter and actually her her ex sean um the fact that he um he gaslights her about his own past and the way that he treated her mother and actually the way that he treated her um on multiple accounts is its own um 
tremendously violent uh, form of, of emotional abuse. Yep, exactly. That's just such a good point. Yep. Um, uh, go, go for it. Well, I, and I just wanted to return to the element of the thing that really resonated with me is um, just how hard it is to be poor. And I do think one of the benefits of living in New Orleans is unlike other cities that I visited, especially cities like San Francisco or L.A., it's very easy to separate yourself from poverty in those cities if you are a privileged person such as myself. In New Orleans, it's much more difficult. Like there is poverty, uh, you know, in within like half a block of my neighborhood, right? Like it is just everywhere in New Orleans and you live within in a way that's much more direct. And I think the thing that that has helped me to realize um, as I've gotten older is just how difficult it is for people who are impoverished in this country to just ever get out of that cycle of poverty. You know, there's the thing where it's like, if you reach a certain economic level, then your welfare cuts off and then you're falling back down the socioeconomic ladder. But then there's also the paperwork that, and the bureaucracy and the hoops you have to jump through to get any sort of public support. Um, And then, you know, we already talked about the lack of affordable rentals. Her search for housing in this is just incredible, you know? Um, And it ends up being, I think, a great example of just how expensive it is to be poor in America. Like you're paying for so many things that you wouldn't have to. And I think I thought it was going to be gimmicky, Amy, but I really liked the way they had her. They did this thing where on screen, on like the right side of the screen, they would show essentially what was in her bank account. And anytime she was trying to do anything to work, just the cost of how much it cost her to find a job. And you would see the amount in her bank account dwindle. And I thought that was very effective to really force it. I mean, it's the most polemical thing the show does, but to really slam it into your face about just like how easy it is to just like spend through what little money you have when you are a person who is just struggling at the bottom of our, our uh, socioeconomic structures. Um, and I thought, so I thought that was like just a really effective way to depict poverty. I totally agree with you. And there's one scene um, in the first episode where she, she actually does land a job cleaning houses um, and she has to make it out to uh, Fisher Island, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, requires uh, gas in her car. And she goes to the gas station and she fills it up with like what you can tell from that top right hand uh, corner of this, the screen is about a dollar's worth yep. of gas, which in the Pacific Northwest, like a dollar's worth of gas, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's getting her and, and she's driving like essentially an SUV. I mean, it's, um, so I, I totally agree with you. I thought that was going to be really cheesy and off-putting and it really worked for me to kind of, um, it was a tool again to sort of, um, to like activate my empathy as a, as a, um, viewer. Um, I also Vincent wanted to hit on just, you know, again, this being a larger commentary on what it means to be poor in America, like, um, we have to remember again that the show is called Made, and like it's, you know, her being a maid is is obviously um, an, a really important part of the story. But it also um, they don't like kind of take that metaphor too far either. Yeah. I think like yep. she's cleaning people's homes, and it's disgusting. And she has all these like, I mean, it ends up being what she writes about, um, and. And yet, like, 
it shows sort of like you were saying before, um, where living in other parts of the country, it's, it's really easy to separate yourself from, um, you know, poverty in places like Seattle or the Pacific Northwest, um, except for when it's literally in your home and someone's coming to clean and they haven't eaten in days and they yep. faint yep. in your stage nursery. Yep. And, and to me, I, this is one of the things I really wanted to talk to you about, Amy, is that like it's a fascinating depiction of how bifurcated our society is financially. And like she's literally on her hands and knees in front of these people cleaning their homes as they're going about their lives. And it's such a weird thing where you're paying someone so little to do this work for you because in, in parts of this, she's making ten dollars an hour. But you're also allowing her in to see the most intimate sides of your life, right? She's literally sees the shit in your toilet bowl, and she see, you know, she sees all your personal objects in your bedroom and your photos and things like that. But at the same time, like she's often treated as if she's invisible and certainly dispensable. Um, and I think there's like an underlying message here that is true. I think in American, I think everyone is guilty of this, that there's clearly this feeling that like if you actually thought too hard about what so many people have to do to survive in this economy and how they are essentially working for you um, at very low levels of pay, it, it definitely can feel like a caste system in which people you know, we you if you think about it too hard and you and you are someone like me who does recognize the role that luck and what you're born into plays into some what how someone ends up. It's hard to be like ever like you have to basically say have the cognitive dissonance to just like ignore it or to say like in, on some level, people who are poor sort of deserve what they have. Right. That is essentially the way all the characters, the wealthy characters in the show treat her except for one key person in a lot of ways, because I think otherwise you have to really reckon with the fact that like she doesn't really deserve what where she is. It's by, you know, some of her own choices, but she didn't choose the family she was born into. And, you know, like she didn't mean to fall in love with someone who is an alcoholic who's going to abuse her. And so it's like it, it really questions how we can, for me, how we can tolerate this level of inequality. Yeah, those are all such interesting points. And like one little point that I was thinking about while you were talking about the caste system was also just how like within the um, value made, which is the, the, the housekeeping company that she works for, um, there's like, there's a, a hierarchy yeah. in that too. Like yep. when she's the new hire, she's given like literally the shit job. <laughs> They're doing, it, I mean, she is like cleaning like, sewage from an abandoned house where squatters just were like um and that's you know its own commentary on like systems of oppression and like oppressed then you know oppressing like newcomers and all of those things um which is interesting um but you know in terms of um what this says about like you know how we can allow for um this caste system to perpetuate. Um, I, I think, like, I have zero um, information about the demographics of, of Netflix watchers or, like, what demographic um, this show 
resonated with or, 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 you know, who watched the show, but I'd be really interested in like who the audience was for this show. Um, because like I was fascinated by this show, like, why was I so fascinated with it? You know, like, I think there's something there, like there's a lot there to unpack, um, that speaks to like, whether sort of like what my feelings were about the questions that that you just asked in terms of um, like whether I'm kind of okay with like going about my my day um, after like seeing all of these forces of, of generally generational poverty and um, systems that this character. Um, so completely didn't deserve, but like still somehow is responsible for overcoming. Yeah, it's, I, I think that's such a good point. And I think one of the things that also really resonated with me was this idea that one, it's a, it's a very clever inversion of stereotypical race roles in the show. So the lead character is white and her essential savior is a black woman in this show. Um, and so I thought that really counteracted like typical narratives about this. But I also was wondering, like for me, it's like, does this make it more palatable for a wider, whiter audience? You know, that the fact that she is white, like, um, I don't know. It, it just led to a lot of questions in my mind, which I think is a sign of a really good work of art, because this easily could have felt at any point like you were being hammered over the head with the point about how you know, exhausting poverty is and things like that. But, um, that is, that's not how this ever, how, how this ever comes across. Totally. And while she's in the DB shelter, like the, well, the two people who help her most are one, the black woman who runs the DB shelter. And then two, um, a fellow, uh, resident there who has been abused by, her husband who is a Latinx woman. So, and actually there's like a really um, kind of funny scene in either the first or second episode where um, Alex is like going to recoup the 3750 um, that the black other main character who who is the client um, at the really beautiful dream house where she cleans and like this client um, doesn't pay her the thirty-seven fifty, and Alex and this Latinx woman go to like confront the woman and get the thirty-seven fifty. And once Danielle, the Latinx woman, uh, I'm throwing a ton of character names out there. Um, yeah, like realizes it's it's thirty-seven fifty. She's like, "Girl, thirty-seven fifty. I could have Venmoed you that." Exactly. Wow. No, no wonder. Like, and then she sees where Alex had lived in a single wide trailer with her ex-boyfriend, Sean, and is like, ooh, no, no wonder you were sweating that yep. 3750. Yep. And, and I think for me, and this is just my final point, and then I think you, I think you wanted to say something about the acting too on the show, but I think for me what this shows is Alex, you know, again, no spoil. I don't think this is a big spoiler. Alex is able to overcome her situation because of who she is and then also a lot of luck. Right at the end of the day, she gets helped by someone who essentially didn't have to help her, but just looked kindly upon her and felt bad for her and wants to help her in her life. That isn't a solution to poverty, right? Like a 
case, like a individuals just happening to luck out and running into the right rich person is the way our society is structured. It's a very accurate depiction, though, like that's one way to get out of poverty in America. But it's not a solution, right, for society at large. It is just ultimately she just ends up being able to succeed at some in, in some ways strictly because of meeting the right person. And if you don't, you're fucked. And that is, to me, I, I took that away very strongly from this show. Totally. Yeah. And that's actually very similar um, to Educated, the book. Yep. Um, yeah. So that's that's a great point. Um, the last thing, actually, as opposed to acting, could I just say something about the, the magical, um, like the surrealism of yeah. the show? Yeah, yeah. I thought that was really interesting and also like could have come across as really gimmicky. Um, it especially is, um, it's especially present in one of the, um, final episodes, episode eight, um, where like no spoilers, but she's, you're like really seeing, um, the emotional abuse between her and, um, Sean, transpire the the emotional abuse from Sean towards her and she is in complete freeze mode like she's able she's able mostly to to go through the motions and like she is an amazing mom like she is like goals for mom um but she so she's like able to go through the motions as uh, a mom but then she is so gaslit by Sean, by her dad, um, by her mom, by others, that she starts, um, like, going into... She just completely loses her agency, and she starts sinking into this couch um, in in their trailer. Literally. Um, And then, like, literally sinking. Yes. And the the couch becomes a sinkhole, and it's, like, this kind of... And, like, in that episode, too, the trees... um, grow even taller than they really are and kind of it's like partly that i mean she very well may be hallucinating because um of the trauma she's enduring but also um like it could be so gimmicky but it just really works and it um it again has that effect of like making I don't know. It, it triggered um, certain feelings in me. Again, like I have never been the subject of um, domestic violence, but um, it triggered certain memories of me of like, um, you know, family trauma or trauma that I, I've experienced in a in a much different way. Um, but I just felt like it was a really useful tool and really relatable. Agreed and beautifully done. I, I thought it was a yeah. very effective use of surrealism, very selective in the choice of it too, for a show that is otherwise so grounded in reality. Yep, absolutely. Uh, um, well, Amy, thank you for you know, alerting me to the show because I wouldn't have watched it otherwise. And I, I I think it's pretty clear that we both got a ton out of it. And I just hope it doesn't come across as like, this isn't, ho- this isn't like a homework type show, right? Like I didn't, f- it wasn't something where I felt like I was watching it and had to watch it because I wanted to be a good, you know, liberal socialist person engaged in society. And this is, you know, I'm taking my medicine of what poverty really looks like. It's, a very smart and entertaining show with very heavy themes done in a very sophisticated way. So um, there was never a moment where it, it, it didn't feel, I didn't feel like I wanted to continue to watch it. Um, 
as perverse as that may sound, it's like it makes all of this captivating, if not necessarily entertaining. Couldn't agree more. Um, well, thank you. Let's let's jump into my four other shows. Uh, well, I fudged it because I I'm so bad at limiting these things down. I I have two. <laughs> I have some honorable mentions and also a tie for ten. So it is what it is. But um, just wanted to go over my uh, seven, eight, nine, and ten shows of the year. So Amy, jump in on any of this. Seven for me was a show that I've already devoted a ton of time for. Um, on I voted an entire episode of the podcast to, which was Ted Lasso. Um, the season took a lot of shit for its lack of conflict at the beginning and being too Pollyannish and Ted just being too nice um, or unrealistically kind. Uh, but that really gets turned on its head by the end of the season. And I think the, uh, the series and the second season really came back strong and was really fantastic. It showed a wider arc for the series with minor characters getting episodes entirely to themselves. Um, and it's smart, funny, and ultimately shows the benefits of kindness and friendships in a way that I think no other show on TV is doing right now. So continue to recommend that show. I'm such a Ted Lasso fan. Um, yeah, I just think it's so beautiful and it's so simple, but also um, like it, it, it's just really refreshing to um, see a show that in a lot of ways centers around optimism um, and is done, you know, not, I, I think not in a Pollyanna um, ish way overall. Um, and also just really appreciate, um, I feel like mental health struggles are dealt with in a, in a, um, in a real way in the show. Like I yes. appreciate that, um, Ted and others kind of, um, resist against, um, the, the realness of, um, of mental health, but then over time, like have their own uh, reckoning um, with it. And like, you know, our, I, I liked how Ted was like, well, it's fine for other people to have mental health issues. Like I'm tolerant of it, but that's just not me. Exactly. Um, but that was very real. Me too. That's like sort of how my family approached when I first told them I was going to therapy. It, it was just like, Oh, I thought mental health issues were things that happen to other people, but um, yeah, you know, super Midwestern, very Midwestern. Yes. Let's just, let's just take the crappiness of life with our beautiful stoicism. Um, So number eight, my eight show of the year was Underground Railroad. Now this is, uh, was on Amazon. It's based on the Colson Whitehead novel and Amazon basically gave Moonlight director Barry Jenkins, who is I think one of the most visually stunning directors working right now, they just gave him 10 episodes to make what is without a doubt the heaviest show I watched all year. It's and probably the most immersive, uncomfortable show that I watched as well. It's beautifully shot and innovative, like everything Jenkins does. Jenkins does, but it's a uh, take on Whitehead's magical realism ideal of what if the Underground Railroad was an actual railroad underneath America's soil and um, black people who are enslaved can escape to different parts of America during that time. And so it depicts the travails of slavery in a way that I thought, you know, obviously I'm not a historian, but is more accurate than almost anything you can see. And it's just brutal. And the cruelty and death that are involved in slavery on a day-to-day basis, um, it it made it very hard to watch while at the same time being something I felt compelled to keep 
looking at and not turn away from. It just took me a while to watch. It's not a show you can binge. At least I can't imagine you wanting to binge it. Um, but that's a good thing. Um, I think about it probably more than any other show I've seen this year, just for the questions it raises about slavery in the country. Um, and while it's not necessarily ever pleasurable, that is how, when dealing with a topic like this, how it should be. Because, um, you know, for how much racism is now in the forefront of a lot of Americans' minds, um, people don't actually talk about the day-to-dayness of slavery in a way that I think uh, frequently enough. And Jenkins is putting that right in your face to show you how bad it was and how unwaveringly terrible it was. Um, it was, it, and to show just, it was that slavery was like more depraved than you could ever imagine in the way that it dehumanized both black people and ultimately white people too. Um, I mean, the, the white people in the show are horrific humans who have lost all sense of their humanity. Um, and they're destroyed by their hate and bigotry as they destroy the black people in the show. Um, it's, to me, it's a show that I think everyone should see, but it's also hard to recommend because it really confronts us with the sin of slavery in a way that makes it sort of impossible to turn away from or to stop thinking about afterwards. So that would be my number eight show. I don't know, Amy, did you happen to watch that? I didn't, but now it's definitely on my list. Um, and I, I love, like, clearly I, um, I also love heavy shows. Um, so it's absolutely on my list. Um, I'm not necessarily presenting my shows in in order, um, but this is not um, a heavy show at all. But I, one of my other favorites from this past year um, was season two of Never Have I Ever. I'm mm. a huge Mindy Kaling fan, um, and I I'm also just a huge coming of age um, fan, and um, I I loved it so much. I think. Um, like she's um, and Mindy just does such an incredible job um, intentionally of uh, finding um, actors from underrepresented backgrounds and like actors who haven't previously had acting experience before uh, or, you know, big screen experience before. Um, and it's just such a uh, funny and fun and um just like very, very well done pop culture show. Well, that's good. I, I have never been a Mindy Kaling fan myself, so I would need some convincing, but <laughs> I have heard multiple people tell me that this show is good and she's, that the Mindy Kaling is, Mindy Kaling keeps Mindy Kaling, the extreme Mindy Kaling in, uh, in check a little bit in this show. So, oh, uh, totally. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. No. Um, yeah. And, and the, the woman who plays Davey is, is just like, she's, I want to be her. She's cool. <laughs> well, that's good. This is good. This is always why it's such a positive to have other people on this show. So we're not just talking about all the things I like. Um, but of course my number nine is also another extremely heavy show called it's a sin. It was on HBO. Um, it's just a profoundly moving show depicting the onset of AIDS and the way it tore, tore young people apart when that first happened. It's set in London in 1981 through 1991, um, and it shows in a very real way how people responded and evolved to AIDS at that time. There's so much cognitive dissonance uh, and willful denial exhibited by the characters in the show and the people in their orbit, like their parents and things like that, about suppressed sexualities, their risk in contracting the disease and whether they even have it and then what, how they should respond once they do. 
Um, it's it's very it's a beautiful show that cares about its characters deeply and tells a story that I thought again similar to Underground Railroad needed to be heard in a way to make it more visceral and real um, rather than just reading about what it was like. Um, so and there are also just great acting performances this from an ensemble cast and it has like the vibrancy of youth um, of the young people in the show they have so much life in them and so much expectations and optimism for the future uh, while also dealing with this terrible disease and then the bigotry of those around them um, in responding to this when AIDS first came was first something that really came upon society so definitely recommend that show as well yeah I haven't seen it either um, but also on my list um, and see we do have so much in common Vincent because it's a show depicting young people so, <laughs> um, <laughs> except not um, full of hope in a coming of age story very true <laughs> um, <laughs> another one of my favorites is um, is um, also HBO um, which actually I think that season two was technically released in late 2020 so sorry if this doesn't count but um, his dark materials mm-hmm. um, is something that Jeff and I are a huge fan of um, it uh, depicts um, the book series like most of his dark materials um, depicts Golden Compass and Have you read Golden Compass or watched his Dark Materials? I haven't watched the show, but I've read all the books. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And really, really enjoyed them. It's so hard to describe like what they are about. Yes. Um, It's so hard to describe. Um, But uh, I just um, think it is such like it's such an intense show. um, And it's really gruesome um, at times and just like. Um, shows um, what you know power and oppression can can do to people and like the real ugly sides of that um, and shows a lot of like um, family you know what family dysfunction and like lack of uh, relationships um, can, can do to people um, but it's also um it's really beautiful and like depicts friendship in really beautiful ways and um, depicts, you know, youth and adventure in really beautiful ways. And it's also just um, very beautifully filmed, I think. Well, it, it, this is one that I have been intending to watch um, and I should watch it now before there are too many seasons and I feel like it's overwhelming to try to catch up. So I'm glad you included this as well, especially since I've read the book. Um, I, I think HBO just does an incredible job of making content but also choosing what content to make um so uh, definitely on my list um all right so let me just give my tie for 10 it's reservoir dogs and um or sorry reservation dogs and um hacks season one reservation dogs obviously is an allusion to reservoir dogs the tarantino movie but it's very different than that um it's it's nothing to do with uh, it's not like a shoot 'em up style Tarantino movie. It re- really reminds me of the show Atlanta in that anything can happen at any time. It's imaginative and funny. 
um, and art from and about indigenous people, which is something that is all too rare, especially on the small screen, I would say. Um, it follows four teenagers on a reservation in Oklahoma as they plan to escape from their lives to California after the suicide of one of their closest friends. And they steal and fight with another group of kids and they love each other. And you can see how they might not ever be able to escape where they were born into, which actually reminds me a lot of Made, Amy. Um, but it's actually a comedy and it's really funny um, in unexpected ways. It's quirky and unique. It weaves in the traditions of indigenous people uh, in a way that I also think is ingenious, both as something to be honored, but also like sort of laughed at in some characters, in some instances, with characters having like visions from ancestor, uh, their ancestors, but the ancestors like showing up naked and then making jokes and also making jokes about like the power of visions and how much you should read into them and things like that. So it's never, it's never like outright mocking the traditions, but it's, it's nice when I feel like in any situation when people can also laugh at themselves um, without making it the butt of the joke or making any cruelty in the humor. Um, and it, like in the final episode, which is a true culmination of the season, one character performs a ritual to keep away a tornado and the tornado doesn't strike. And we're left thinking it's both possible his ritual, impossible his ritual actually was the thing that prevented the tornado from hitting, but also, well, maybe it worked. Um, so it's such an inventive way to deal with traditions and magic. Um, and it's very, very funny in the way it shows the way white people interact with and deal with indigenous people as well. So again, um, it, it really takes this idea of the um, myth-making uh, of that is like part of indigenous culture and sort of weaving that into a show in which reality and non-reality and uh, dreams and the past all sort of get blurred together. Um, and then for Hacks, my other, the other thing that was tied for 10, this is such a fun show. It was completely unexpected uh, for me that I would like this. It's on HBO. If you haven't seen or heard of the show, it's about an aging Joan Rivers-like comedian played by just one of my favorite actresses, the indomitable Jean Smart, um, who really should be on every show ever. Um, she has a standing Vegas show, but is clearly nearing the end of her run as a relevant comedian. Her jokes are fit for sort of the blue plate special crowd that actually show up to her show. They're dated and old. And while she lives in this place, mansion in Vegas. She's unhappy and some part of her realizes that she's not honest or relevant anymore in her comedy. But she gets linked up with this aspiring comedic writer played by Hannah Einbinder who comes in to freshen up her act. They immediately clash and clash and there's this great generational tension between them. They're essentially arguing and representative two types of feminism. There's a lot about cancel culture in this, about what comedy should and shouldn't do and should and shouldn't cover. And they're essentially arguing and representative um, of like also like difference in generations and the way women in the past had worse could deal with sexism and the way uh, the oppression and sexism men had to be like tolerated in a way that hopefully it doesn't have to be now. Um, and so it's just, it's very, very funny and deals with sexual politics in a way that is uh, uncommon, I think on TV. Um, and you end up disliking and loving both of the main characters in various moments. And it just has incredible supporting characters from Carl Clemens Hopkins, his smarts assistant, Marcus, to Christopher McDonald, the, the guy who played Shooter from Happy Gilmore as a wealthy casino owner, and my favorite, Caitlin Ol Olson from It's Always uh, Sunny in Philadelphia fame as smarts jewelry making upset and obsessed but deeply scarred uh, daughter. So those those would uh, be my other two shows in my uh, top 10 to, to round out my list. Amy, do you have any other shows? Or have you seen any of those? And do you have any other shows that you would include on yours? My other show is um, 
as my friend calls it, um, it's like a delicious bag of, of Doritos, um, <laughs> which like you shouldn't be consuming, but you just can't stop, um, is selling sunset. It is so like, I've never been a reality TV person. Although I have to say, I think Netflix like really does a pretty good job with their reality TV. They do. Um, yep. and, uh, Jeff also watches selling sunset with me. He, he, um, claims for because he's like a real estate person uh-huh, um, uh-huh. So he, <laughs> um yeah right jeff we see we see right through that um it's just so horrible and so <laughs> great um like their high school drama their high school like drama for these like 30 year olds um and i always wonder how long it takes them to get ready in the morning for work like I can't even imagine that they make it into the office until maybe 2 p.m. because their hairstyles and their makeup every day are just like (laughs) at once um, awe-inspiring and also like, oh my gosh, this is a ridiculous use of of everyone's time. Um, But it's so good and so bad. And if you just (laughs) um, need that delicious bag of Doritos, I highly recommend it. We we all need guilty indulgences sometimes. So I'm completely with you on having something like that. Um, And for me, honestly, like sports ends up serving as that for me so often, because at this point, the NBA is a reality show uh, and I watch it and follow it as much for the drama and the gossip involved in it as I do for the basketball itself. Yeah, that's a really, really good point. I think that, um, yeah, what what sports is to people in terms of like their, yeah, all of their pop culture references and everything else, um, shows like Selling Sunset and the memes and like the lines and everything else that you get from them uh, fill that void in my life for sure. There you go. Um, Well, Amy, I just can't thank you enough for joining me on the pod today. I loved our discussion about Made, and I really hope it leads at least one or two other people to watch the show, because I think it's clear we both think it's um, well worth it. Um, So thank you so much for joining the Insatiable Content Podcast uh, today. Thank you, Vincent. It's been a lot of fun. Well, great. And I'll be back um, either later this week or next week with my top five shows from 2021. Have a great week.